happened. Like one guy was went off in search of Santa Claus, and he was going to find the myth of Santa Claus throughout now, all Daddy's the northern talking. countries. He was going to Finland and you know the Soviet Union at the time, all these places, and then he ended up writing a book about the myth of Santa Claus. And he sort of and, and I was on the committee to evaluate these proposals that people had. Hi, I'm Takashi Wicks. And I'm Nikhil Thoda. And this is Tuna Pasta, a collection of conversations recorded across the United States where we look for stories and lessons on the road from the people and places we often pass by. It was mile 3,862. After a day of driving through the full length of Kansas, we had arrived at our campsite for the night by beautiful Lake George, Colorado. The site was called Evilwood Camp, but that's a bit of a misnomer. There weren't any woods nearby, and it didn't seem particularly evil to me. Except maybe for the freezing cold temperatures and frozen patties of buffalo poo. The lake was situated in the center of a valley which carved a perfect bowl shape into the side of the Colorado Rockies. As we drove into this valley, antelope bounced along the grass, and it felt like we were in the middle of a National Geographic documentary. To add to the aesthetic, a man had pulled over to take pictures of the antelope from a distance with his 600mm zoom lens balanced carefully on the tip of his knee. We hopped out of the car to join in the golden hour photo session with our less prime camera gear. After a while, the man packed up his supplies and began to drive off. But after turning the car around, he rolled down his window and asked if I'd like to use a zoom lens. I excitedly said yes. While Nikhil carefully attempted to attach the 15 pound lens to his small DSLR camera, I struck up a conversation with this man in an attempt to learn what brought him and his wife to this breathtaking area. A researcher at the University of Denver and a first grade teacher, his name was Salvador and her name, Amelia. They were a married couple living out of Denver, their love for the city's proximity to nature allowing them moments like this, to drive out into nature and find antelopes and a sunset to watch. But unfortunately, the setting being in one of the largest valleys of the Rocky Mountains, the wind rendered most of the interview unusable. But we still wanted to broadcast their life lesson in this episode. With your time out here, uh, what's kind of a life, life lesson that you've learned that you want to impart on someone else? Life lesson? Wow, that's deep. Um, <laughs> what's a life lesson? <laughs> <laughs> I think, I mean, right now we're kind of focused, like we're listening to a marriage book. Um, we've been married for about 10 years. and Congratulations. Thank you. Biggest life lesson is just spend time together. Um, like, don't let life get too busy that you don't spend time together. To That's the people that are important to you. Yeah. Because yeah, it's so easy to just, like, you know, you're always busy with other stuff. So, And it's good to have a setting where you can get away to mm-hmm. literally be in the mountains. Yeah. That's incredible. Well, thank you all so much. We greatly, we greatly appreciate you just you're turning around and giving us the lens, too. The following day, we woke to a tent covered in frost. You could say it was pretty cool. Literally. We drove along the crest of the Rockies on State Road 59 with haste to Denver. Denver's a cool city. It's got a giant polar bear and a free citywide shuttle service, which we took to the famous Union Station. The station had bookstores and visitor information, but our mission was brunch at the Snooze and AM Eatery. Sadly, it was Sunday, so our wait time? One and a half hours. In an attempt to prevent extreme boredom of hangriness, I'm sure you can guess what we did. 
we look for people to interview. The plaza outside of the Union Station was packed with people, but something drew us to the laughing couple sitting by the fountain with their dog. Their names were Chris and Debbie, and the dog, Angel. What are you guys' names and where are you guys from? Uh, Chris and Debbie. Chris and Debbie. Yeah, right over there. Wow. Oh, really? We live Debbie. downtown. Yeah. Uh, could you describe uh, where we currently are? Uh, we're in Lodo, lower downtown. Lower downtown. downtown it's, Denver. it's the warehouse district. All by these buildings were built in 1890, and this was an absolute <laughs> slum and up until about 1970. <laughs> I mean, you and I would all be shot dead. <laughs> you just didn't come down here. And then folks managed to pull it together. And now we have a beautiful Union Station. You know, How long have you guys been in the area? Seven years. Seven years. Seven years. Where did you guys come from? Um, all over the world. Yeah. Australia yeah. for a while. Uh, Czech Republic. Um, Scottsdale. Yeah. San Francisco. San Francisco. Oh, really? That's where we're actually headed. We're, uh, okay. Yeah, we're, we're actually from Florida. We're oh, driving okay. from Florida all the way to San Francisco. We, it's I a great city. Big, Oh, yeah, we're excited. Yeah, that's why we left to move to Australia. I asked them why they decided to move to Denver. We love the lifestyle here, so we love that we can do this, but then we can be hiking in an hour, you know, and we love the outdoors. And It's, it's one of the few cities where you can actually have a walking lifestyle. There's a group called Bike Denver. Was if you'll turn in your car, they'll give you a five thousand dollar bike for free. Really? really? If you live down there. Yeah. That's oh, so and fun. every year they have tons of takers. You don't need a car. There's a grocery store that's right over there. There's yeah. people, you know yeah. bars, restaurants. I mean, we're the only place I think that you can walk to a baseball game, which is right over there. The Rockies, or, or, or uh, hockey and basketball is right at the University down there, and then football is about a mile over that way. Oh, that's awesome. uh, Oh, and then the. the Convention center on a mile that yeah. way, plays, rest, all that kind of stuff yeah. over there. They've done a good job of keeping the city collapsed. Right. So it's, and, and when you look at cost between, say, Boston, Chicago, San Francisco to Denver, the cost of living is great. It's cheaper. Compared to. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Down because, I mean, other cities have, like San Francisco, you can have a walking lifestyle in San Francisco or Manhattan. Yeah, some a lot of, of hills places. up and down. Mm -hmm. And it's expensive there. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it was, this has gotten a lot more expensive, but yeah, when we got here, it was still foreclosures, and they couldn't give these lofts away. Right. And um, so we're happy we decided to. So. San Francisco is very dense. There's a lot of people living in you know in that space. Oh, yeah. So you know, we have two cars. We don't use them. Oh, yeah. <laughs> just to go hiking. Yeah, just to go hiking. That's about it. Okay. That's awesome. Yeah. Um, the biggest problem that everybody has around here is that the car batteries always go dead. <laughs> oh, wow. just sits there, you know what I mean? Yeah. You, just, you have to go out there and start your car and let it sit for a little while and then turn it off and <laughs> walk sure to where you want to go. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's incredible. Yeah. What do you guys do for work? As little as possible. Yeah. <laughs> we retired a bit yeah. ago. Oh, really? So. I used to be a professor, actually. Oh, oh really? Where? At uh, various places. I started at Rice University oh, okay. in Texas. Yes. And I was at uh, Thunderbird. In uh, Arizona, which nobody's ever heard, it's international school. And then Santa Clara University. And we were down in uh, Gold Coast of Australia. At Bond um, University. Bond University. So, what did uh, you teach? Uh, international business. Marketing. Oh, okay. Uh, how to kick the crap out of your competitors. <laughs> yeah, <probably>. <laughs> 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 yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Which I think you guys are doing while you're, when I was at Rice, there was a thing called a Watson Fellowship. What this thing was was Watson was the founder of IBM. Yeah. And you could apply from like one of six schools, and it was this very elite sort of exclusive groups. And students, undergraduates, could apply. In that, um, and the criteria was make it so 50 years from now, if somebody says, "Why are you you?" They will say, "My year Watson Fellowship." Mm. 
It was full ride, unlimited money, dream. The stuff we had to come up with to win, like one guy was went off in search of Santa Claus, and he was going to find the myth of Santa Claus throughout all the northern countries. He was going to Finland and you know the Soviet Union at the time, all these places, and then he ended up writing a book about the myth of Santa Claus. And he sort of and, and I was on the committee to evaluate these proposals that people had. And it was the same thing when people, you know, you probably scratch your heads going. I don't quite get it. Was, that's what Watson, this guy, was, wanted to do. He wanted to make it so, make it something that would define who you became as a person, you know? And I thought that was the coolest thing going. That wow. was the things that people would submit. And it was just, uh, So was, you were on the committee for that? Yeah, I was on the committee to evaluate them. How long did you do that for? Um, six years or something like oh, that. Oh, wow. And so some of these, when the people who were applying, I sat there the whole time going, what have I done with my life? <laughs> <laughs> and somebody 19 years old has 15 engineering patents. And I'm kind of going, I could never have gotten into Rice as an undergraduate. Yeah. I was just lucky to get in there as the faculty. <laughs> but I couldn't have gotten in as a student. And these guys, and so they just had this amazing opportunity, you know. And I'm just kind of like you guys are doing some reversion of that. Just, oh, like, yeah. just you know? yeah, walkabout. Walkabout. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. yeah. So I guess uh, one final question that we'd like to ask you is, in your time um, living in Denver, what's like the biggest life lesson that you've learned that you'd like potentially want to pass on to somebody else? And things, um, stay active. Essentially, I think that, that we've all gotten kind of accustomed to our you know, getting a car and drive from A to B and kind of world. And if instead you're trying to try and have a lifestyle where that you just walk places. It's amazing. We get to eat like pigs. Um, you know, and I used to waste 50 pounds more than I do now and try and be on diets and all this kind of stuff. We moved here and now we just walk everywhere. Yeah. And so with that, just, just staying active. active, it's a very European kind of lifestyle where, you know, eat like pigs and all this kind of stuff and get safe, fit, and healthy. So yeah. <laughs> get out of the car, walk around. <laughs> You'll find here too that um, people are extremely friendly, and I, and, you know, sometimes in bigger cities, they're not. Uh -huh. um, but here, I find that everyone is pretty, pretty yeah. uh, friendly, and that's really, really yeah, cool. It's kind of like, it's got a sort it of a Midwest and a vibe. melting kind of pot. Yeah. It's a city, but it's a slower city pace as opposed to. Like San Francisco's got an edginess in it. Yeah, you know, you're in a city. Yeah, you're, you're kind of tuck your wallet and a little yeah. tighter and some <laughs> of these kind of things. And, yeah, it just doesn't happen yeah. here. I mean, it just doesn't happen. Here. The biggest concern is somebody will bunk in one of these trees and yeah. knock off a branch, and the whole community gets pissed off. <laughs> you, know, like, you know, it's the level we have to worry about. You know, don't hurt the trees. Before we left, Chris had one final piece of Denver trivia for us. One other thing, you, know, you guys ever read the, um, the Jack Kerouac books? Oh, yeah. The whole, um, what was the big one? Angel, Angel stopped. It. it was Jack, Jack Kerouac, one of the traveled. Yeah, the traveler yeah. guy from I've back heard in the of 60s. It. Yeah, he was sort of the original vagabond hippie. You know, the guy who all of these kind of people have mimicked. And what his books were about was this guy named Cassidy. And Cassidy's a real dude. He grew up here in Denver, and he lived right down here. And there's a bar, pub place that's down. If you go down to 16th and turn to the right, it's called the It's Brothers. 
And that's where he used to hang out. So all really? of those books that became oh, oh. The, the beatnik 60s generation, the yeah. bar is the oldest bar in Denver. It's been there since 1860. And on the wall is, he, when he got in prison for stealing cars one time, he wrote a note to a buddy of his saying, I, 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 I owe a bar tab and it's brothers. Can you take care of this for me? And the other friend didn't have any money. So he just brought him a note and they framed it put behind the bar. And it was <laughs> really? Jack Kerouac saying, I ain't got no money, but he still, and apparently still owes them like $9. <laughs> Oh, so cool. <laughs> and it's a really cool place because of that. It's sort of one of those deep culture places in Denver. And it's right at 15th and, um, and um, South Platte. Yeah. And, um, so it's a neat, you know, if you really want to have a get back to the basics of what this place is all about from 1860 through Jack Kerouac and the insane days of Denver, go to its brothers. Brothers. <laughs> yeah. That's a cool story. Yeah. It's a neat one. It's one of those ones that this place has got these odd characters because this literally was it was a world class slum around here. I mean, it had been that way since 1920, and that's why these odd characters like this kid grew up. His dad was an alcoholic, and he grew up as a small child in all the flop houses that used to be these warehouses. And then Kerouac bops into town and sort of drifting around talking to people, links up with this kid and writes a book basically about Cassidy and his attitude towards life. Cassidy basically is, he was nuts. And what he wanted to do is steal cars. He loves stealing cars. He didn't care if he get caught, he didn't want to hurt the person. He'd bring their car back. He just liked the act of stealing the car. <laughs> and so he went to San Francisco, Ginsburg, all those guys all patterned their lives off of Cassidy and Kerouac's book. And it all began right down there in, in the It's Brothers Bar. Yeah. So, Mile 4,003. We knocked the snow off our shoes and hopped into the car as fast as we could. I turned the key and blasted the heat. My toes were numb against the pedal. We had five hours to drive until we reached our campsite. We were on top of Blackhawk Mountain, 34 miles outside of Denver, 9,120 feet in elevation. When we arrived, we were told that the 2.5-mile raccoon loop trail was under three feet of snow. When we were one-fourth through the trail, we realized that our respective Clark Desert boots and Nike Free Runs were not equipped for the fresh snow. When we were halfway through the trail, we realized pants covered in snow turned quickly into pants soaked in ice water. After finishing the loop, we arrived where we left off, mile 4003. Toast thawed from the heater, we began our night journey to our campsite. A quick four-hour pass through the northern portion of the Rocky Mountains to arrive in Wyoming. Simple. When we saw some snow flurries, us two southern kids got excited. When those snow flurries increased into a snowstorm, we were still adventurous and well-spirited. When the sun set, the snow persisted, and the gas meter sat one mark over E, the danger of the situation hit. Four hours we rode through this, finally making it to our site at 12.38 p.m., mile 4,203. We met the innkeeper Dan in the pitch dark, set our tent up in the freezing cold, bundled up, and headed to bed. Waking up in the morning, I checked my phone to turn off my alarm when I saw a notification from Airbnb. Our message from our host for that night in Salt Lake City. It read, I'm declining the request because of snow. I don't think you'd find it to be a good fit at this time. We had 15 feet of snow, and at this time, the property is still under 6 feet of snow. I'll hopefully be able to accept your reservation in the next few weeks. This was a low point in our trip. Nikhil and I weren't communicating properly. Our only food in the last 24 hours were Eggs Benedict from Denver, and everything reeked like wet feet. And now, we had lost our place to stay in Salt Lake City for the night.
Dan, our innkeeper, had offered to cook us breakfast in the main log cabin, the one where we had slept outside of in the freezing cold. He poured us both a coffee with hazelnut creamer, served us sausage and potatoes, and sat with us. No food set for himself. He waited, then asked us about our lives. We decided to reverse the question and started recording. First off, so uh, if you could introduce yourself, who you are, and sure. where you're from. Sure. Uh, my name is Dan Pont, and I've uh, been in this county for, well, since 1991, and mostly as a marriage and family therapist for over 20 years. Oh, really? And then uh, I bought this place, this lodge, uh, on October 15th. 2015 when I closed so I spent the first six months remodeling and then for the last year almost exactly a year I've been having guests like you I put the tent camp in um, about two months ago and the shower so that I could have people this is on the the Transamerica bikeway uh -huh. here so oh, wow. I, I anticipate having people riding their bikes into town and having a place to camp yeah that's why it's kind of packed together there. That's yeah. what I had room for. <laughs> yeah, that'd be good. that's a it's a really nice space out there. And Thanks. Then, do you have a lot of bikers come in uh, regularly through the cabins? You know, I did have a few last year. One lady I remember specifically, her husband was driving and she was riding. Uh, so he was kind of her support car. Mm. So how long did you do? You said you did marriage, marriage um, and family therapy. How long did you do that for? Um, I graduated in 91. Where'd you graduate from? From Colorado State. Oh, okay. In Human Devel Development of Family Studies. And so I did private practice here, uh, starting in, in Laramie, but working my way oh, here really? to Carbon County for over 20 years. So, you know, probably a couple thousand people over, over that time period. And oh. so that's kind of... I, I kind of got burned out on that and and uh, so started doing a lot of construction work and bought this place. Why, why construction? Um, when I was a counselor, I did uh, projects with especially my adolescent clients mm -hmm. and we would uh, work on projects, something I've always been interested in, so that they could earn money and learn good work habits and, uh, you know, some skills how to swing a hammer and, yeah. you know. So something that just naturally, did you use it as part of your uh, therapy? Yeah, I used it, I called it therapeutic mentoring. It was sort of like working with a kid so that they weren't just sitting on a couch and you're trying to pull words out of them, you know. Yeah. They tend to open their mouths when their hands are busy, huh. that kind of thing. And it, it worked pretty well. So I, I've always been interested in doing this kind of stuff mm -hmm. and making money at it on the side and, and then, you know, just... My wife and I have been married for over 21 years, and we've we've had um, 14 properties that, oh, wow. you know, we still have, let's see, uh, four or five, I can't, it depends on how you count them, mm -hmm. that some of them are rented out like this place, and uh, a lot of them we just lived there, fixed them up, and sold them. So, would you say that this is your biggest project, or your Yeah, this is my biggest form? I have another one that's fairly big in Rollins. Uh, it's a, a mansion that was built starting in 1883, and it's in, it's made into six apartments there. It's about almost 6,000 square feet. Holy cow. What, what got you to... So what is kind of your method, or like 
how have you found like these different places and been like, oh, I want to rent out this place <laughs> to different people? Well, you know, it's sort of an availability thing, and then it has to kind of match my skills on how to fix things up. Mm-hmm. But th- the interesting thing is my, my skills as a therapist really overlap well as an innkeeper because I get people coming in here from you know all kinds of backgrounds and political persuasions and re- religions and and you know ethnicities and everything and I can sit down and talk with anybody because that's what I did for 20 yeah. years <laughs> and so the best part is they sit down we kind of like have our first session like if it was therapy it's like introducing to each other <laughs> each other and then they leave so i don't have to fix any problems you know? <laughs> it's pretty pretty fun but i've met people from all over the world every state in the united <laughs> states um you know like the people who are here over the weekend their daughter owns a software company in denver called fast oh wow. and they they do uh tax collection for government entities all over the world and they're multimillionaires. and this guy's from Australia and his wife's from Hong Kong and they just wow. you know we sit and talk I had some people here last summer who had been on yachts you know 200 foot boats yeah uh, that belong to the richest people in the world that are rented out to the richest people in the world and they're their crew you know so they're wow. serving food and stuff to to uh I don't know, you name it, famous people, people who aren't famous but own lots of oil wells yeah. or, you know, like uh, people with, people Saudi like shakes and that kind of thing. People that can afford kind of yachts like that. Yeah. <laughs> so all kinds of interesting stories. There was a family who uh, uh, the mother and father were asked by their 16-year-old son, can we go on this hike? So they they hiked the ridge of... The Wind River Mountains, and they happened to own a ranch on the north end. So they started on the south end, walked the ridge trail to their ranch over the course of uh, 24 days and walked into the ranch on that last day and stayed overnight. They had two uh, horse pack trains bring in food at day 8 and day 16 so they wouldn't starve because they couldn't carry enough food for all that time. And you can't exactly pick berries at 12,000 feet. Yeah. And uh, and then after they stayed in their ranch one night, they came down here and we we told stories and and you know I learned their story. We got really close really fast. They, but this they, was right after they had yeah stayed the that night other, after they stayed in the their ranch after their three weeks on the mountaintops and it was there's just experience after experience like that like on that sign over there in front of the computer that says call me if you need me mm-hmm. on the back are a bunch of notes of. Uh, that a guy who worked for Thiokol, he was a he was a rocket rocket scientist. You know, it's, it, it ain't rocket yeah. science. Yeah, yeah. Well, there's rocket science written on the back of that sign over there. <laughs> I had him write down his notes of, you know, he he was a, a materials engineer, so he he would put things together, different components to make the rockets yeah. work, and just stuff like that. Every, every week's a different adventure. That's being pretty an innkeeper. Yeah, that's really cool. Uh, I love it. Huh. Yeah, I really do. Yeah, and uh, final question, kind of what we've been asking everybody, but yeah. um, as your time, uh, well, you can, with your time as an innkeeper <clears throat> or with your time here in Wyoming, yeah, what's <clears throat> the um, most important life lesson that you've learned that you would want to impart onto someone else? Love. <laughs> you probably hear that a lot, but you know, when you guys come, I want to take care of you. When we have a chance to interact, I, I feel like. You don't fall in love with people, but you show love to people. 
and that has the biggest influence on everybody. It has the biggest influence on me to share that with you, and it invites the the reciprocation of it, and it just it's the the best way to live. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and uh, people who don't do that, they get angry, they get old early, they get sick, you know, and people who do live that way, you know, whatever time they're alive, they enjoy it. <laughs> yeah. Dang, well, awesome. That, that, that's great. The cabin was originally a motel in the city of Saratoga, built and operated by a young family many years ago, until it was bought out by the local golf resort to house their kitchen staff for the summer. The cabin was then vacated for 10 years, hosting only loiterers that sat in the front during the day and flicked and littered beer bottle caps onto the front yard, hundreds of beer bottle caps that Dan would eventually clean up. Dan saved the place from demolition, spending a year and a half rebuilding the inside out with his own hands. And now, every morning, he sits with the tenants and learns their story. From cyclists traveling the country to the son of the original motel owner who reminisced about living in the room upstairs as his dad was building the place. For our conversation, we learned Dan's long history as a former Mormon who left the faith and pursued a career in therapy. His Mormon mission being in Japan, parts of our conversations were in English, parts in Japanese. Parts were about the deer that grazed outside, and parts were discussions of what we wanted to do with our lives. Though he was retired, Dan still exercised his profession. The way he described it, he bought land, but he didn't build the usual farm with chickens, goats, cows, and geese, but he had built a kind of farm a plot of land that brought people together and cultivated a sense of human connection and love. Thank you so much for listening to our fourth episode. If you made it this far, I love you so much. Please subscribe on Apple Podcasts and Stitcher, and also write us a review if you can. It means a lot. You can tweet at us, at TunaPastaPod, or find us on Facebook. If you want to say hello, email us at hello at TunaPastaPodcast.org. Also, please visit our beautiful website, TunaPastaPodcast.org. This episode was produced, edited, and recorded by myself, Mikio Thoda. And myself, Takashi Wicks. This episode includes music from Akira Tanaguchi and Demuz. Special thanks to Yasmina Horozovic for editing help and Luke Olsorn for producing our theme music. Shout out to Teresa Adams for liking basically every single one of our posts. Thanks, Auntie. Woo! Special thanks also to Dan, Salvador, Chris, Debbie, and Angel the Dog for the great conversations. We really appreciate it. Also, special thanks to Brian Reed for producing S-Town the soundtrack of this part of the trip. You kept us awake through some pretty dangerous drives. Thank you so much. I'm your host, Nikhil Thoda. And Takashi Wicks. Thanks for listening. Mm-hmm.